Father in heaven, this morning we want to see Jesus. And we pray, dear Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit, your representative, to take the message spoken from your word and to breathe life into it and to take that message and apply it to our hearts. Thank you, Father. Speak to us, we ask. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The year was 1848, January 24 to be exact. And in the small town of Coloma, California, there was a man who was about to make an extraordinary discovery that would change the world. James Marshall was a carpenter working on the construction of a sawmill in Coloma, California. As he was surveying the land around the sawmill, he noticed that in the stream not too far away, there was a shiny substance inside the riverbed, or in the riverbed. He walked over and he picked it up and examined it a little bit more closely. He was familiar with the different minerals, and he knew that this thing could only be one of two things. It was either fool's gold or it was real gold. He took this rock that he found over to the side of the riverbed, and between two rocks, he began to beat it into a shape, and it confirmed in his mind, because you well know that gold, being a very soft metal, is very malleable. And from that discovery, he knew for certain that this was not fool's gold, but it was real Gold. In fact, it was the first few gold nuggets that began what became known as the California Gold Rush. Now, chances are, if you found gold nuggets in a riverbed, you probably would not tell anybody about it. You know how valuable that stuff is, and so chances are you would keep that information to yourself and find as much of it as you could to add to your wealth. But James Marshall was the type of man who had a hard time keeping a good thing to himself. And if you visit Coloma, California, in fact, you can go to the very mill that he worked on, There is a monument commemorating his discovery. And at the foot of that monument, there is a plaque, and it reads this. For just a few months after finding gold in the Mills Trail Race on January 24, 1848, Marshall kept his exciting secret. But the urge to share the discovery proved too much. And he soon shouted the news 
to the Mormon workers building the mill. Marshall's words echoed across the Pacific to Hawaii and China, down to Mexico and South America, and to all parts of the United States. The gold rush bringing thousands of restless young men was on. California would never be the same. You've seen those pictures before of those men out there trying to to get their wealth. In fact, the mill that Marshall was so instrumental in building never actually worked. It never was used as a mill because everybody in Coloma, California, instead of working for a mill, decided that they would be what? They would be gold panners. They're out there panning for gold, trying to make their life's earning finding gold. And this man who died in poverty, changed the world. He couldn't keep a good thing to himself. And I think it's part of the fabric of our human making that when we discover something good, we want to tell other people about it. Whether it's a family member or a friend or whatever, maybe our husband or a wife, when we find something good, we have a hard time keeping it to ourselves. We want to share it with somebody. It's part of who we are as humans. And the good news this morning is that we have found something that is much more valuable than gold. We have found something that has revolutionized the world much better and much larger than the discovery of gold and the California gold rush. We have found a friend, oh, such a friend, who has changed the world and has changed your life and mine. Would you say amen? In fact, listen to how the wisest man describes Jesus in the book of Songs of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 10 and 16. He describes Jesus as the chiefest among 10,000, the one who is what? Altogether Lovely. Isn't that a great description of Jesus? The one who is, who is the chiefest, he is the greatest among all the people of this earth. He is the one who is altogether lovely. Have you found a friend? Oh, such a friend in this man, Jesus. I want to invite you to go with me in your Bibles to our scripture reading this morning, Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, and we're going to just read verse 8. Here we find where the disciples, three of the disciples anyways, are up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And as they're up there on that mount, they see Moses and Elijah and Jesus transfigured. As you would only imagine, seeing such a thing struck fear in their hearts. They were fearful for what they saw. And as they uh, bowed their head in fear, trying to shield themselves, Jesus tells them to arise and to be not afraid in verse 7. And then the Bible says this in verse 8. And when they had lifted up their faces, they saw no man save Jesus only. Amen? Who did they see? They saw no man save Jesus only. And I pray that God will give you those pair of spectacles, those spiritual eyes that see no man save Jesus only. 
And there's an interesting passage in the book, Acts of the Apostles, page 64, that comments on this. It says this, Jesus only, in these words, is contained the secret of the life and power that marked the history of the early church. Jesus only is what marked the life and power of the early church in the book of Acts. These men were men who were consumed in their relationship with Jesus. They were consumed by what he had done for them. They desired to share him more than anything. They wanted to share Jesus, even if, it would, even if they were to be silenced by losing their life. They were consumed by Jesus only. Now, oftentimes, when we look you know, when we look at the New Testament church in the book of Acts, oftentimes the first thing that pops into our mind is church growth, right? All through the book of Acts, that's what you see, church growth, church growth. Church, the, the church was just exploding in the book of Acts. And we usually attribute that to them being filled with the Holy Spirit, as we see in Acts 1 and Acts 2. Great exponential growth came when the early rain fell. But I'm going to suggest to you this morning that before the, the early rain could take place, before they could be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak great words for God with boldness, before that happened, they had to first be consumed with seeing Jesus only. Would you agree with me this morning? They had to be consumed in their relationship with him, with this desire to please him and to do whatever he asked them to do. The desire to share him was paramount in their life. And as their lives were consumed in Jesus, as they saw no man save Jesus only, then the Holy Spirit filled them with great power and they went forth and proclaimed the word of God and the church exploded. But where did it start? Seeing Jesus only. Now, you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were here studying together, I shared with you a presentation from Revelation chapter 6 where the question is asked, who shall be able to stand? That question that's so penetrating relating to the end days. Who shall be able to stand? And as we penetrated into that question, we found that only those who have clean hands and a pure heart will be able to stand. Those who are observing the face of Jesus as we studied it out, as they're consumed with him and him only, they are transformed into the character of God which gives them clean hands and pure hearts. They, are, they were consumed with looking at Jesus instead of looking at the things of this world. And I want to share with you this morning that as we are consumed with viewing and seeing Jesus only, not only does that change my life to be more like Christ, but it also changes my witness. And it changes the church and the landscape of the earth. I want to share with you five examples very quickly here in our time together this morning. And I want you to go with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke for our first one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 15, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Here we find the story of Jesus' incarnation when he was uh, birthed into this world. And the angels come and they tell the shepherds the good news of Jesus' arrival, the Messiah's arrival. And the Bible tells us this in verse 15. And it came to pass 
As the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made, made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Notice what it says in verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. When the shepherds saw Jesus, what were they compelled to do? They couldn't keep it to themselves. As they came into the stable and they saw Jesus wrapped in a swaddling cloth, lying in a manger, as they met Mary and Joseph, they were compelled with this irresistible urge to go and tell other people what they had seen and what they had heard. They had to go tell people this good news because they just couldn't keep a good thing to themselves. Listen to the book, Desire of Ages, uh, sorry, uh, Review and Herald, uh, December 17th of 1889, says this. They were filled with joy. They could not keep to themselves the precious knowledge of the advent of the Redeemer. But with glad enthusiasm, they told how many? They told all whom they met the wonderful thing that they had seen and heard with what kind of enthusiasm what does it say glad enthusiasm not mournful enthusiasm not sleepy enthusiasm not uh, not sharing anything at all but with glad enthusiasm they were filled overflowing with joy and they had to go and tell other people they couldn't keep it to themselves and all who heard them related the wonderful experience of the shepherds to the to the others And many wondered and rejoiced, for they believed the words that had been spoken by the heavenly messengers. These men, these men who were of the lowest grade of society, they weren't special people. They weren't educated in the synagogue. They didn't have any prestigious position. But the angels of God revealed to them in their night vision. In fact, if you read the book Desire of Ages, she tells us that they were actually thinking about the prophecies concerning the Messiah when the angels came. They were studying their Bible and they were looking over those prophecies of the Old Testament and the angels came and told them about this and they had to go and tell the good news to others. And you'll see this. It's a recurring theme that when somebody has an encounter with Jesus, there is an irresistible urge to go and share that with other people. But let me illustrate that with, to you in a couple of other places. Go with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And you know what? We're just going to begin in verse 40. John chapter 1 will begin in verse 40. The Bible says this. And... Of the two which heard John speak and followed him, that is Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, he first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted, who? 
the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. So here we find the Bible tells us that Andrew comes and has this experience with Jesus. He talks with him. He interacts with him. And as he has this experience, he's compelled to go find who? His brother, he goes, finds Peter and says, Peter, we found the Messiah. Come and see him for yourself. Now, the story doesn't stop there, but it goes on. And it says in verse 43, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, follow me. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses And in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then verse 46, Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, what? Turn with me in your Bible. No, what did he say? Let me prove to you with these proof texts. Listen, Nathaniel had been studying the word of God. He, 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 he knew these prophecies and he was compelled that Jesus had answered and fulfilled these Bible prophecies. And so he goes, actually Philip was the one who said, and he goes and finds Nathaniel and he says, Nathaniel, come. And he says, can anything thing good come out of, um, out, of, out of Nazareth? And maybe somebody might say, can anything good come out of my family? Can anything good come out of Muskegon? Can anything good come out of the Muskegon Seventh-day Adventist church? You know, there's some people that probably believe that. And what did, what did uh, Philip say to Nathaniel? Come and see. He didn't try to prove it to him. He just said, come and see. You've got to see this for yourself. And fortunately, Nathaniel came and he saw and he became a follower of Jesus. Two examples here we find of men who had an encounter with Jesus. They sat, they talked, they interacted with him. And as a result, they were compelled with the holy unction to go and tell other people about it. They couldn't help themselves. In fact, notice what it says in the book Desire of Ages, page 141. It says, no sooner is one converted than there is born within him a desire to make known to others What a precious friend he has found in Jesus. What happens when somebody's converted? There is what? Born within him. A desire to go and tell others the precious friend that they have in Jesus. Maybe you don't have a desire to share Jesus. Maybe you're fearful about it. I don't know. But as I read this quote, it makes me wonder, if I'm not telling other people about Jesus, if I don't have that desire to tell them about the friend that I have found, the question that I have to ask myself is, am I truly converted? Have I really experienced conversion in my life? Because we're told that when we are converted, we have this desire and we see it, example, we see examples of it in the word of God, this desire to tell other people about the friend we have found in Jesus. The saving and sanctifying truth cannot be shut up in his heart. God has given us wonderful things to share to other people, has he not? Has Jesus done great things for you? Tell other people about it. That's what we're finding out the lesson in the word of God is here this morning. 
That when we experience something with Jesus, when we have that encounter with him, we don't want to keep it to ourselves. We don't want to push it down. We don't want to just keep it locked up in our little journal or in our memory, but we need to go and tell other people about it. We need to ask the Lord, Lord, give me this holy unction to go and tell other people what Jesus has done for me. You remember the story in John chapter four, the woman at the well, Again, another one who was of the lowest class of society. Not only was she a Samaritan, but she was a woman at that time. A woman with a questionable background, as we find in the story. And there Jesus sits beside the well. and He has this beautiful interaction with her. And he feeds her soul, her spiritual soul. Which the, with the water that she would never thirst for again. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 4 and verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified he told me all that ever I did. The Bible tells us that many people believed on Jesus for the saying of the woman. Let's read between the lines here. If they believed because of the saying of the woman, what did the woman do after she had an encounter with Jesus? She went back to Samaria. She went back to, that, uh, to her city or wherever it was, and she told other people about her experience with him. And yes, even though she was of questionable background, even though she was of a lower class of society, we are told that many people believed on her testimony. Listen to this, Desire of Ages, page 195. As soon as she had found the Savior, the Samaritan woman brought others to him. How soon? The next week? The next month? Did she wait and say, hang on a second, I need to go to an AFCO session before I tell other people about Jesus? Did she say, hang on a second, I need to go to an Emmanuel Institute before I tell other people about Jesus? Now listen, we need those things. But this woman had hardly any context. She had hardly any knowledge of spiritual things, but she had an experience with Jesus. And as soon as she found a friend in Jesus, she brought others to him. She proved herself a more effective missionary than his own disciples. Ouch. You know, I think we're gonna be surprised when we get to heaven and we see the people who have led other people to Jesus. I think we're going to be really surprised. And we're going to think, that person? That woman at the well in our church? She did that? All of those people are here because of her? I never knew that. I think we're going to have a lot of surprises when we get to the kingdom of heaven. She was a more effective missionary than his disciples were because the disciples were bickering about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It goes on. But through the woman whom they despised, a whole city full were brought to hear the Savior. She carried the light at once to her countrymen. How soon? At once. Listen, I want to tell you something here this morning. The average Seventh-day Adventist knows more about the word of God than many of the people in the world today. We sit here in church week after week and we are immersed in the study of God's word. 
We come to Bible prophecy seminars for four or five weeks at a time, and we hear systematic theology present from the Word of God that makes sense and is clear according to Scripture. We have the spirit of prophecy and other writers that God has brought to our church. We have a glut of information in the Adventist church, which I praise the Lord for. But we're sitting on it. We're sitting on it. We're sitting on our little sanctified theological hills, and we're not telling other people about it. There's a whole city out there. She won a whole city full of people to Jesus. The Samaritan woman who had no theological understanding, she told what Jesus had done for her, and it converted countless amounts of people. What about the story of the demoniacs? Go with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 5. Let's read this real quick. Real quick. Matthew, Mark, Mark 5. We'll begin in verse 18. As you know the story, Jesus crossed over from one side of the lake to the other, and when he, met, when he got to the other side of the lake, he met the demoniacs. In this particular rendition of the story, there's only one of them. Uh, but the Bible says this, verse 18, And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed... With the devil, prayed him that he might be with him. So this is the demoniac after he had been released from his spiritual bondage. Verse 19, howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, what? What did he say? You know, what's the first word that you think of when you think of the gospel commission? Is it any different? Jesus is illustrating it here. He says, go, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things God hath done for him and all men did what? Did they have a lot of training? Did they have a lot of theological context? No, they simply went and told other people what Jesus had done for them. What Jesus had, and it, it, it was so powerful, the transformation in their life from possessed to now being commissioned. How's that for a transformation? You know, sometimes we expect people to exhibit change in their lives before we give them responsibility. That's not what Jesus did. This man was, he was changed, he, was, he had the exorcism take place, the spirit was out of him, and now Jesus said, I have a job for you to do. Go. Go and tell other people what I have done for you. Desire of Ages, page 340, says this, the two restored demoniacs were the first missionaries whom Christ sent to preach the gospel in the region of Decapolis. For a few mo moments only, these men had been privileged to hear the teachings of Christ. Not one sermon from his lip had ever fallen upon their ears. They could not instruct the people as the disciples who had been daily with Christ were able to do. She goes on, but they bore in their own person the evidence that Jesus was the Messiah. Do you bear in your person that Jesus is your Messiah? They could tell what they knew what they themselves had seen and heard and felt of the power of Christ. This is what everyone can do whose heart has been touched 
by the grace of God. Have you been touched by the grace of God? Then you can do this. Everybody can have the same influence that the demoniacs had. They can go and share their experience of the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God to transform your life from what it was to what it is right now. She concludes by saying this, men marveled as they listened to the wondrous news. Would you marvel? The town demoniac, the man who was naked, chains hanging off of his arms, long matted hair, ripping his body apart, just an absolute nutcase, transformed. Would you marvel? Men marveled as they listened to the wondrous news. A door was opened to the gospel throughout that region. When Jesus returned to Decapolis, the people flocked about him. And for three days, not merely the inhabitants of one town, but thousands from all the surrounding region heard the message of salvation. Lord, if I can just be a converted demoniac for you, I'm happy to do that. Converted demoniac. These men, they just went and told other people what they experienced. They told other people what Jesus meant to them. They just bore the testimony that God had given to them. And every single one of us have a testimony. Amen? Every single one of us have a testimony. We all have something that we can share about how Jesus has impacted our life. And the thing that just boggles my mind is that these two guys go back, they share their testimony, and thousands of people flock to where Jesus is. Wouldn't it be great if we had thousands of people flocking to our church because we are so faithful at telling our community what Jesus has done for us? should say shame on ourselves. We're more interested sometimes in telling people that the Sabbath is the seventh day rather than telling them what Jesus has done for us. Now, let me, let me, let me be clear here this morning. There is a time and a place to tell people about that stuff. And you all know that. There is a time and a place. But if it gets to the point where the day that we worship on God is more important to you then what Jesus has done for you, you need to spend a little bit more time with Jesus in your devotional time. The first thing that should come to our mind when we have a spiritual interaction with somebody else is to tell them what Jesus has done for us. When we do that, we win them. And as we win them, we can share with them the gospel of God from his word. We can share with them about the Seventh-day Sabbath. We can share with them about the state of the dead. But oftentimes, we meet somebody, boom, the first thing we want to do is hit them over the head with theology. And no wonder they're not wanting to hear from us. We have no context with them. We have no relationship with them. These people heard for a long time, months maybe, about what Jesus had done for these two men. They were so compelled by the power of this man that when Jesus showed up, they were willing to listen to whatever he had to say. And I want to tell you this morning, Jesus didn't just talk about love. He shared with them theology as well because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life but we gotta get our ducks lined up in the right row here. What is our emphasis? What is it that we share with people when we meet them for the very first time? I wanna follow the example of the woman at the well. I wanna follow the example of the demoniacs. I wanna follow the example of Jesus. Go with me to our last one here, Acts chapter 17. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts chapter 17. The New Testament church has been growing for quite some time at this point. There's been a lot going on. And then we find this recorded in Scripture. I always like this passage. 
Uh, Acts chapter 17, <clears throat> beginning in verse 2, the Bible says this, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of chief women not a few. There are many of the Greek people, the Gentile people, who believed Paul's message. But notice what it says in verse 5. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of a baser sort, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and, as, and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. What was the accusation? What did they do? Not such a bad thing, is it? I wouldn't mind if other people accused me of doing that or accused us of doing that. These were men who had turned the world upside. Even their enemies had to acknowledge the fact that what they were sharing was transforming the landscape of the world. The entire then-known world at some point learned the good news, the message of salvation that Jesus, the Messiah, had come. And the enemies of the church acknowledged that they were turning the world upside down. Listen to me this morning, brothers and sisters. The Seventh-day Adventist church has the capacity to turn the world upside down. We have the message that can turn the world upside down. We have the truth that can turn the world upside down. So why isn't it happening? I want to tell you something this morning. The men who turned the world upside down were consumed by Jesus. They were consumed by what he had done for them. Their only desire was to do his will in their lives. Whatever Jesus asked, whatever Jesus said, whatever God's word said, they were consumed with the will of God. Their gaze was stuck on Jesus. And as a result, they were filled with this, this, the, the power of the Holy Spirit and they turned the world upside down. The message is not enough. There needs to be the experience that goes along with it. And I think that as Seventh-day Adventists, sometimes we depend too much on the message and not enough on the messenger. We expect the message to do some magical transformation in the people's lives. But brothers and sisters, it's Jesus that does the transformation. And people are wanting to see Jesus in a tangible way. They're wanting to see, what has Jesus done for you? And when they see what Jesus has done for you, then they want to know what Jesus has taught you. And then I believe the church will be at the point where they can turn the world upside down. How did they turn the world upside down? Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John they, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them 
that they had what? What do you, you see this consistently throughout scripture. Great power in the word of God is associated with men and women who have an experience with Jesus. It doesn't come from the, 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 the external, the, the, the money and this and that, you know, the, just the, the preaching or, or, or whatever it may be, the programs and all that. That's not what brings the power. The power comes when we have an experience with Jesus in our lives, individually. A church full of people who have an experience with Jesus is a very powerful thing that will make the devil tremble. The secret of all true evangelistic success can always be traced back to time spent with Jesus. Would you say amen to that? Here's the fascinating thing to me. We spend thousands of dollars on advertisement. We send out handbills into our community. We make these nice little signs and posters and things like that. We do newspaper ads and, and some even do TV advertisement. We do all of these advertisements. Trying to generate interest to come to our meetings. When I think the greatest form of advertisement is free. It's free. It won't cost you a penny. All it costs you is time together with Jesus. When people see that this church is filled with people who know and love and serve Jesus with all their heart, listen, the doors are gonna be knocked down. That's what the Bible tells us. We see example, example after example of that. The woman at the well, she told them what Jesus had done. Lots of people believed on Jesus. The demoniacs told people what Jesus had done. Lots of people believed on Jesus. When we share with others the experience that we've had with Jesus and what he has done for us, it is the greatest form of advertisement that we could ever do. But too often we don't take that time to learn of Jesus, to have that encounter with him where he can be described as someone who is altogether lovely in our lives. Matthew chapter four, verse 19, the Bible says, follow me. And Jesus says that we will what? When you follow somebody, are you spending a lot of time with them? You follow somebody around, right? You're spending a lot of time with it. You're learning from that person, right? And they followed Jesus. They followed him wherever you went and they learned from him. And as a result, they lived their life the way Jesus lived his life. They became fishers of men. And as we follow Jesus, it's a natural thing. You don't have to be forced into it. You shouldn't even have to be asked to do it. But when we follow Jesus, it's a natural thing that we want to be like Jesus in becoming fishers of men. It just just comes from within. It's a natural response because humans can't keep a good thing to themselves. And certainly Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to us. So the question is, if this is such a powerful thing, why aren't we seeing it? Why aren't we seeing city fulls of people coming to the church? Why aren't we seeing thousands of people believing on Jesus through our testimony? Why aren't we seeing that? Well, I think there's probably a number of reasons, and you probably could write down your list. But I think what it really boils down to is, uh, is that we are busy. 
right? We're busy. We get busy with doing different things. But, but this morning, I want to share with you something just really quickly here uh, that, that I think will help you have this encounter with Jesus, have this, this togetherness with him when you see, so you can see what he has done for you and what he wants to do for you. So I want to share with you just four really quick questions in your devotional time as you're studying the Bible. Four questions that you can ask yourself that will help you have this experience of knowing Jesus. Number one, as I read this passage, what does this passage tell me about Jesus? What does it tell me about Jesus? Is that a great question to ask? Look at the Gospels. What does this passage tell me about Jesus? And then as you answer that question, ask the next one. What does it tell me about myself? And oftentimes what it tells you is what Jesus had is oftentimes the deficiency in my life. Right, so what does it tell me about Jesus? What does it tell me about myself? Great questions to ask. Number three, what change does God want me to make in what? Whose life? You can't change anybody else. You can only change yourself. Gotta get, you got to stop being busy with ch- trying to change other people's lives and just concentrate on ourselves. And so we ask the question, what change does God want me to make in my life? As I read this passage of scripture, Lord, how do you want me to change my life? And then the last one here, number four, is there someone that God wants me to share this good news with? So I entreat you, I, I, I encourage you as you study the word of God in your devotional time, as you look at the different passages of scripture or maybe the devotional book that you're reading, ask yourself these questions. How does this, uh, what does this passage tell me about Jesus? What does it tell me about myself? What changes does God want me to make in my life? And is there anyone that God wants me to share this good news with? And I think what will happen is it will bring to the surface things that you didn't see in that passage before. And you may just have an amazing experience with your loving Savior. You can do this also with the book Steps to Christ or the book Desire of Ages. Great questions to ask even as you read that devotional book as well. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Bible says, and Jesus, let's read this together. And Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Every Seventh-day Adventist knows this passage inside of their hearts. We all heard this passage before. It's no different than the message that Jesus gave to the demoniacs. He's ejecting us out. He's saying, go, you have an experience. You have had an encounter with me. You have seen the goodness of God. Now go and tell other people the goodness that I have done for you, what I have done for you. And as I suggested before, what is it that keeps us from doing this? And I mentioned that perhaps it's because we're a little on the busy side. But let me tell you something this morning. This is a lame excuse. Amen? To say that you're not witnessing for Christ because you're busy is a lame excuse. Lame excuse. Really, when, it, when, when we have this experience with Jesus, busyness will not keep us from wanting to tell other people about it. You, maybe you've heard this acronym, acronym before for the word busy, being under Satan's yoke. Now, let me tell you something this morning. We need to be busy about our father's business. But we shouldn't be so busy with our father's business that we don't have time to spend with our father. And when you're so busy doing the Father's business that you don't have time spending to spend with the Father, then you are too busy. 
If your busyness is keeping you from spending time with God every morning, you are too busy. God does not want us to be lazy. He doesn't want us to sit around and do nothing and just read our Bibles all day long. He has a work for us to do. But we need to have our priorities straight. If our busyness is keeping us from being able to share with others what Jesus has done for us, if our busyness is keeping us from spending time with our Heavenly Father on a consistent, daily, morning time together with Him, if you are too busy to do that, something has to change in your life. Something has to change in your life because the devil will keep you under this yoke and it's not the yoke that Jesus wants you to wear. Listen to this. Education, page 260. Many, even in their seasons of devotion, fail of receiving the blessing of real communion with God. They are in too great haste. With hurried steps, they press through the circle of Christ's loving presence, pausing perhaps a moment within the sacred precinct, but not waiting for what? Some of our devotional time is, okay, I gotta go. It's six o'clock. I'm gonna read my passage of scripture. Read it here. Thank you, Father. Have a good day. See you later. Boom, and we're out of there. And we, we, we go through it so fast that God even has a heart, hardly has a chance to even see us. He hardly has a chance to even talk to us because all we're doing is talking to him. We're talking to God and we don't stop to listen to what he has to say. Prayer is a two-way thing. It's not one way. It's, a, it's, it's God talking to us and us talking to God, but I would suggest to you this morning it should be more God talking and less you talking. But we're hurried. We're so busy. We've got all these things to do. It's cramping out our time together with the Lord. Cut that stuff out. Cut it out. Create more time in your schedule to spend with God. Because when you pause for a time in the sacred presence of God, he will give you an experience that will blow your mind and will, you just won't be able to keep it to yourself. You'll have to share it with other people. She goes on, they have no time to remain within the divine, to remain with the divine teacher. They're, uh, with their burdens, they return to their work. Do you work more efficiently with or without a burden? We come to God, we read our Bible passage, we have our quick little sentence prayer, and then boom, we're gone with our 50-pound pack on our back. And the Lord's like, hey, what? Maybe I can get it off his back tomorrow. Go through the day. Oh, it's so difficult to be a Christian. It's so difficult to do this work. And God's like, would you just give me the burden? I'll take it from you if you let me have it. If you just stop long enough, I'll take it from you. With their burdens, they return to their work. These workers can never attain the highest success until they learn the secret of strength. And she's going to tell you what the secret of strength is. Not a pause for a moment in his presence, but a personal contact with God. To sit down in companionship with him, this is our what? What is our need? To have companionship. To have a personal contact with God. And I love how she does, does this. She's so balanced. She doesn't say you need to spend 30 minutes with God. She doesn't say you need to spend an hour with God. She doesn't say you need to spend two hours with God. She just says you need to have a what? Personal contact with him. Now, some mornings that might take an hour. 
Some mornings it might take 15 minutes. I have no idea. That's between you and the Lord. But the point of our time together with the Lord in the morning is to have a personal contact together with him to strengthen us as we go throughout our day so that he can take that burden off of our back and we can work with more efficiency for him. Has God done something good for you? Tell other people about it then. Don't keep it to yourself. Share it with them. Tell them what he's done for you. Let it flow out of you so naturally. Just let it be something that is like sweet honey as it comes out of your mouth. Something that you can't keep inside yourself. So I ask you this morning, today, will you choose to come so close to Jesus that you can't help but share him with others. She can't help it. Listen, if James Marshall, back in the time before the television, back before, you know, the internet, if he could get the message about gold all over the world, one little guy telling people and telling more people, what can one person who has a Desperate love for Jesus do for the kingdom of God. Friends, we have so much to be thankful for. And the Lord is just begging us, tell other people what I've done for you. And I pray that one day it will become something that we don't have to have the Lord beg us to do. That we don't say, I'm uncomfortable doing that. I don't have the talent for that. I don't have the gift for that. Last time I checked, witnessing wasn't a spiritual gift something that everybody is called to do, that it would just flow out of us. Have to tell other people what Jesus has done for me. Is that your desire this morning? Amen? Let's tell the Lord about it. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so thankful for what Jesus has done for us. And every week, Lord, actually every day, there's something, some goodness that you are allowing us to experience And Father, I pray that you would help us to see these things and to capture them and to share them with whoever we can come in contact with. They might look at us odd, but who cares? We have to tell them because it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. Father, I pray that this would become a reality for us and that as we win people through our testimony, we may win them to your truth and that we will win them ultimately to your kingdom. Help us, Father, to get our priorities straight as we share Jesus with others. I pray that tomorrow morning, Father, as we wake up in the stillness of the morning, when it's still quiet in our home and with our Bibles in our hands, that it would become a sanctuary moment where we are reading from the word of God and the spirit of God is speaking to us and that we're learning divine counsel from you. Dear Jesus, we want to hear your voice speaking to us every day that we may be more like you and love you more then than we do now. Help us, Father. Thank you for choosing us. And thank you for using us. 
for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.